Hi, Eric. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for indulging me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna re-record an episode today. We've never done this before. Yeah, we did an episode uh, in think late November. It's been a while. Early December. It was last year for we, sure. We put it in the can and thought about it, and we like we liked parts of it. We record another episode and release that. And we release that, and so now we're gonna do part two or retry on this one. Yeah. Um, uh, what was what was the problem, Aaron? The problem was that um, I think we were too close to the to the material at the time. It just happened. It had just happened. So today we're talking about the uh, recent um, change in the Bay Area, where women have been asked to not sit on the stand during sacrament meetings. Yes. And um, how do you feel about it? Um, I think it's dumb. <laughs> I could get more into it, but uh, well, this we'll is, see how it goes. This is your opportunity. <laughs> um, and um, we're going to be using as our text today an article by Peggy Fletcher Stack. Yes. That came out um, a couple months ago um, in the Salt Lake Tribune. Yes. And this article is called uh, A Slap in the Face, LDS Relief Society Leaders Ordered Off the Stand. Yes, that... Uh, Pretty clear emotional content right there in the title. Yeah. So before we got started, though, I wanted to talk broadly about activism mm-hmm. and about how our show relates to activism or has in the past. Yes. Because this episode is going to feel different, dear listener, to some of the ones that you may have listened to in the past. And if it's your first time here, welcome. Welcome. Uh, stay tuned next time for a more... Fun facts with for Eric and Aaron. <laughs> fun facts thing. Maybe <laughs> maybe about Paul. <laughs> yeah, that, tentatively about Paul. Yeah. So, but this time I think maybe we're going to stray... We're going to take our pendulum and let it swing closer into activism. Do you think that we're activists generally? What shows do you think we've done in the past that would feel more activist? Um, the Black Lives Matter show. Black Lives Matter would one. Would be one. Um, some of our pro-science shows, which I don't even know if we realized would be activist when seen from 2024. What about evo- like evolution? Is that like one of the ones? Kind of. So here's... here's George Orwell wrote an essay. Uh-huh. It's called Why I Write. And he talks about the different motivations writers might have yeah. for writing. And one of the motivations is political. And he ends up saying that because of the time I live in, like, politics has to be my primary interest. I wish it wasn't. Like, in a better world, I would just write pretty things, but I have to be a political writer. Yeah. But one of the things he also says is that all writing is inherently political. So just by the fact that we say, I like, I don't know that we necessarily um, are pushing people to accept evolution, but just by talking about the facts... And recognizing them as facts is inherently activist in the same way that George Orwell said all writing is political. In some ways, all writing is activist. We've taken a stand on what reality is. And I think when the show began, the idea that accepting reality as it is wouldn't have struck me as an activist point of view. Mm -hmm. But I feel like maybe it is. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. And our our motivation was always to give people facts. I mean, the reason we're called Face and Hat is because we don't want people to be scared of facts and church history and so forth. And maybe just facts themselves are activists in a world where facts aren't always treated with respect. Yeah. Um, another one might be the Colum- uh, Christopher Columbus episode. Yeah. We did one on him. Yeah. That would be a good example. What are some episodes that you wouldn't say are necessarily too activist and um, some of our David, I think the David O. McKay season is maybe 
interesting in how far it can swing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm not really sure there's much that could reasonably be called activist in the Temples episode. Yeah. And yet at the same time, um, we uh, interviewed a um, full, like a really loyal member of the church who happens to, you know, be married and gay. And yeah. that's... Uh, the recognizing his existence could be considered activist. Yeah. And then the very next episode was one of my favorites we ever did, which was with my uncles. Right. And we just talked about the church building program. And um, I would say that's where the pendulum swung pretty far in the other other direction, just enjoying being Mormons and history and some fun, interesting things about it. But at the same time, I believe we... Came down with a few opinions on like whether the church should pay for janitors. Like <laughs> that's true. Like, it's it's really hard to separate these things. Like you can't you can't be a living soul, I think, and not take a stand. At least according to scripture, mm-hmm. you know, if you're lukewarm, what's going to happen to us? You're going to get spewed, right? So uh, I think that in the broadest possible sense, we are activists. But I think in the way most people use the term, it would be absurd to call us activists. Like yeah. we're we're not. Um, calling for picket lines or anything. Yeah. Um, we're not trying to change the, change, change the church. No, we're not. We're really not interested, I think it's fair to say, in telling people what to think. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we will hide our own opinions. Yeah. And um, in fact, I think one of the reasons we started the show was to help grapple with some of the... Um, in some of the weirder, interesting, more controversial parts of our of our church, right? Because for our generation, that was the big thing entering adulthood was the appearance of the internet and people being traumatized by facts that had been carefully obscured over time. And um, but we live in a different world now, right? At yeah, Gen Z, one, one with a South Park episode about yeah. the Mormons. The last, the last of Gen Z is in high school right now. Yeah. Gen Alpha is going to join us in high school next year, start joining us next year. So, in high school. I teach high school if you're new. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's my profession. <laughs> um, let's start with where activism has uh, essentially made a pretty big impact in in relationships to women and the church um, over the last 10 years. I believe this is your segue into reading part of the historical section of the Peggy Fletcher stack article oh. mentioned before. I wanted to have you tell me a bit about Peggy Fletcher Stack before we got going. So uh, we've talked about Peggy on the show a couple times. Um, If you haven't heard the varied episode, and you haven't, (laughs) this is a great story. So Peggy Fletcher Stack is a religion journalist. This is her job. She um, writes journalism about religion. She does it for the Salt Lake Tribune. She's done it for a long time. Obviously, being in Salt Lake City, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a big part of her beat. And um, oft times she's the only person at church's various uh, PR opportunities who's an actual journalist and not a PR person for the church or something similar. Um, and so during the President Hinckley era, she traveled to many temple open houses and dedications and such. And she felt like since she was there as a journalist, she had to ask some kind of question, but she didn't really have an obvious notion of what would be an appropriate question to ask at these events and her editor suggested i I might have the facts slightly wrong um we will double check what i said last time when my memory was fresher and if there are any errors we'll throw them in the show notes (laughs) (laughs) sorry aaron i just gave you a job uh anyway so her editor suggested 
well, why don't you ask them about original art in the temple? Because there's when you build the temple, it's built to the highest standards. Everything is beautiful. Everything is wonderful. And then they just have printouts for the art. And so she would go to every temple event and ask this question, like, uh, the church spends so much money on nice furniture and, and you know, quality walls or whatever. Um, why doesn't the church commission original art for the temples? And people got sick of her asking this question. But then one time, I believe it was in Palmyra, President Hinckley was there. And she asked the question and he said, Peggy, I'm really glad you asked that question. And uh, I'm happy to announce that we have decided that, that from now on we are going to commission original art. And then after she got back to Salt Lake, somebody from the church office building, who was one of her contacts in the art department, uh, got a hold of her and said, Peggy, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as President Hinckley got back to Salt Lake City after talking with you, he announced we were now going to start commissioning art. So President Hinckley, fourth dimensionally, was accurate. <laughs> but uh, the decision, nobody knew about the decision until, until he got back to Salt Lake City. So would you say that um, Peggy, uh, we're not on our first name basis we can pretend <laughs> podcasting peggy fletcher stack influenced <laughs> president hinckley i think that would it would be difficult to say otherwise okay so this goes back to activism because why be activist ever if we believe in a church that is governed by revelation from god because why should you and i ever yeah. say anything when we think that there might be a problem. Because that's the kind of God we believe in. We believe in a kind of God who waited for a 14-year-old boy to ask a salient question before he restored the gospel. And that's such an incredibly important point. Can you make it again? Yes. We, in the member, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, believe that change happens because people engage with God. Mm -hmm. that's, that is how we believe revelation functions, and that's how we believe the church should function. And yet, and yet, any institution as it ages becomes a lot more vested in rules and regulations and bureaucracies. That is just human nature. Okay, um, so you can kind of maybe see the shape of our discussion as it as it's as we're getting closer to it. Um, I f why do I feel nervous about being activist in a public forum? Let me ask you that question. Well, we did. A, I believe we did an episode on this in. The David O. McKay series, is that when we talked about the the Strengthening Members Committee? Oh, could be. Yeah, I don't remember which episode that was. If we can figure it out, show notes. But um, there have been times where the church has had a little sort of star chambery kind of attitude. Like looking for... Oh, do you, your face says you don't know what the star chamber is. Go ahead. So the star chamber uh, is... was a. Uh, can we actually Wikipedia it real fast? Sure. I'm nervous about getting my history wrong. I want I want to be correct. Star Chamber was an English court. That's it. Tell us about it. All Just right. The first couple paragraphs. That sat at the Palace of Westminster from the late 15th century to the mid 17th century was comprised of privy councillors and common law judges to supplement the judicial activities of the common law and supplement equity the courts. judicial system. That's Never good. Okay. okay. <laughs> it was established to ensure the fair enforcement of laws um, that ordinary courts might hesitate when ordinary courts might hesitate to convict someone of a of a crime. In the early 1900s, Edgar Lee, Edgar Lee Masters commented, "In the Star Chamber, the council could inflict any sort of punishment short of death, and frequently sentenced objects of its wrath to the pillory, to whipping, and to the cutting off of ears." 
which each embarrassment to arbitrary power of the Star Chamber became emboldened to take undertake further usurpation. Yeah, if I'd picked a more American analog, it might have been something like the Un-American Activities Committee in the 50s. Mm. Um, it's a group of people who get power and get secrecy and it becomes a black box and nobody really knows what happens, but mm -hmm. punishments are meted out. Yeah. In the modern church, you don't have to... I really don't believe you have to worry about Salt Lake trying to get you excommunicated. I, I understand why some people feel that that's a risk, but I, I just don't believe that. Um, you don't have to worry about uh, a lot of things. You, nobody's going to cut off your ears. But, you know, it is a black box. There's a lot of opacity between the top of the church and the members of the church, and we just don't know how things work, which is part of what got our emotions full in the last <laughs> recording is there's just a lot of opacity like it's really unclear how a lot of things work um, especially in the mid-level of the church um, and by mid-level I mean above the stake but below the quorum of 15 so mm. to speak and what's happening there and if you know are they keeping track of things? Um, is this going, uh, is a, a um, persnickety and snippy podcast episode going to prevent Aaron from reaching his lifelong dream of being a counselor of state presidency? Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's not my lifelong dream. <laughs> and it's not actually going to my the source of my nervousness, okay? Uh -huh. So, yes, um, if you, if I got onto this episode and spoke evil of the lord's anointed mm -hmm. right um then i f feel like that w I, d I i i i could see how one could be nervous about the church saying you should not be doing that in a public setting uh -huh. and here's some here have some censorship right sure that's not what i'm worried about because i don't think that we're any kind of a big fish and we're not going to do that mm -hmm. right we're not going to speak evil of the Lord's anointed. We're not, but it is not an insane feeling that one might be misinterpreted. Okay. Yeah. So I want to put that out. I don't, I don't want to be misinterpreted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But what I am nervous about and what I have been my whole life is critiquing the church's operations. Mm -hmm. Right? Where I see... Or policies. Yeah. Right? Because I do have this belief that the church is true. Yeah. Right? And that, that God is at the helm. Right? Yeah. That Christ appeared to Joseph Smith and reset and restored the gospel. Right? And who am I to say that um, how the church is operating here in the Bay Area is correct or incorrect? Mm -hmm. Right? So there's this source of nervousness that comes deep within my soul yeah. of being a church that I believe is led by by God. And yet, and yet, at the same time, we have this responsibility as Latter-day Saints to um, advocate for further light and knowledge. Okay. And let's talk about when this advocation actually worked. Um, and for, and if you're nervous about us using temple phrases, we apologize. <laughs> I remember a friend of mine once in uh -huh. a group chat when this started to happen, he was like, pump the, pump the brakes guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first time I heard someone actually, it was me. I heard myself quote someone. I was like, Oh, what was that from? And it took me a few minutes to realize I was quoting Satan from the, <laughs> from the endowment. And I felt very deeply uncomfortable, but it's worth pointing out that, um, the, uh, the oath of um, 
keeping it to yourself yeah actually involves very little of the temple uh-huh but not not that i think one should be flippant with temple language but <laughs> i will only use it when i feel it is an appropriate illusion um the most obvious example that's happened recently was in 2013 and I'm going to quote directly from the article. Uh-huh. A group of women launched a campaign to ordain women to the all-male church uh, Latter-day Saint priesthood. To be clear, this is the Peggy Fletcher Stack article mentioned above. Yeah. Um, Since leadership and positional authority in Mormonism are inextricably tied to priesthood ordination, organizers wrote, it is clear that Mormon women must be ordained in order to be full and equal participants in their church. So that was their argument. The argument was... It is a reasonable argument. It is a reasonable argument that leadership mm-hmm. in the church is, seems tied to priesthood ordination. And if women were going to have positional authority... Yeah then they would need to be ordained to a priesthood, let's say. Maybe the priesthood. Okay? So, as a public act to show their intent, quoting from the article, ordained women leaders, including co-founder Kate Kelly, asked for tickets to general priesthood session, uh, general conference priesthood session for men. More than 100 women walked politely in a line, to Temple Square in Salt Lake City and asked to be allowed into the tabernacle but were turned away at the door. The protest, which was repeated at subsequent general conferences, drew widespread publicity and criticism locally and nationally. Yes, and by criticism, uh, both to the women and to the church, depending on who was criticizing. A little over a year later, Kelly was excommunicated and many of the participants either fell silent or left the church. The impact of their actions, however, was broad and deep. This, I had not really thought about this before, but the article goes on to to back up this claim. Okay, so the claim is, let's draw a direct parallel. Yeah. Sorry. Not a parallel. Not a, a parallel, um, a line of consequence. I like that phrase. From this protest, Yes. a peaceable, we would like tickets to the men's priesthood session Mm -hmm. to the following list of changes yes all right in other words correlation equal equal causation in this case yes okay that's what the claim (laughs) is that's the argument listen we're going to examine if that argument has merit in a second but first what are the changes the men's priesthood meeting was broadcast live for the first time should we hit these one by one yeah we can talk about them i think it's almost impossible that this is not a direct consequence okay they weren't didn't used to be no, used broadcast to go to the church live. So to watch the, this. yeah, so normally what you would do is you would turn on BYU TV and watch the the general the, sessions. The general sessions. Right? So I'm going to hear the prophet and the apostles speak, mm-hmm. uh, some relief society leaders speak, some primary leaders, you know, well, um, maybe a primary leader, a relief society leader. <laughs> so we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> but the point is that where there are leaders of the church that are going to speak in the general sessions. Then yes. there's a fifth meeting at 7 p.m here on the, in the Bay Area, and, um, I mean, it's, sorry. <laughs> There's Ends a, at seven. You know, so <laughs> You're thinking about the ice cream. <laughs> I'm thinking about the ice cream. <laughs> but the point is that they broadcast it from Utah, it's the prophet of the church, and it's for the men. Yes. It's the priesthood session. Okay, so now that meeting was broadcast live. Right. So, so you didn't have to go to the church to see it. And women could watch it. And women could watch it. 
Okay. And all those non-secrets were less secret. Um, Yeah, it took away, it took away the, um, because the reason it was a great symbolic thing is because it was a a very symbolic closing of doors. mm -hmm. Like you weren't allowed to watch it. Yeah, shirt and tie. This is, I mean, they didn't enforce it at the door, but you know. Yeah, but like, yeah, exactly. Um, At least one woman was added to the church's top committees making decisions about missionary work right this is the next bullet point yep family history temples and more the photos of top female church leaders were included in widely circulated charts of high-level authorities so these are the charts that say you know yeah president nelson at the top two counselors form of the 1270s now they include relief society presidency leaders yeah i think both of those the church if it's so desired would have plausible deniability that uh, ordained women had anything to do with them. They're talking about the but, church's top committees, and then... right. Um, however, and it and being on the committees and, and being on the full chart. Uh, however, that said, I think to an outside observer, it would seem likely that this is a direct consequence. Women were added as advisors to the church's European area authorities and leadership councils. So those are the five points that were mentioned here. Yeah, it's fascinating that that's probably a whole different episode, but. Um, yeah, just why you Europe? And me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it again. But why why Europe? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did we already have them here? No, that nowhere else in the world to this day are mm. women that tightly connected to area presidencies. Only in only in the is it Europe North or is it all the Europe areas? I don't know. Okay, so um, why do you think that it is? Let's go back to the first point, which you said had the strongest connection. Yeah. Why did ordain women movement directly lead to the... Because it made the church really uncomfortable and it embarrassed them on a national... Like, it was embarrassing. Like, like the, the uh, media coverage was embarrassing. It would, There was just no good way to spin it. It just made us look like a bunch of backward morons. And, and this took away the meaning of that mm-hmm. protest. Because now, oh, look, it's available for everybody. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, and is that you said that there was something later in the article that would that demonstrated this proof as well. I don't remember that, but but it just seems it seems really hard to argue otherwise. Okay, that like the, this one is so clearly tied to what the most visible protest was. Yeah, and it so successfully did away with it that it's it's hard to see it as anything else. I think it's really interesting to talk about priesthood ordination and gender and women versus men Mm -hmm. and authority and things like that right but that's not actually what i want to talk about today we could do a whole show on it right we never really have mainly because it's i'm i it's i don't really know what to i don't know how to talk about it correctly Uh right um what i want to talk about is the effectiveness of activism okay and um because I think it's interesting. Well, and I think one thing activism is good at, and I, this is a good example of it, is it forces people to ask themselves questions they've been able to ignore. Other people haven't been able to ignore it. Those mm-hmm. women, the reason the whole thing happened is because they were in a position where they could not ignore this slight. Uh, but, you know, men in authority, why, you know, if you're if you're in the Quorum of the Twelve, why do you have to worry about this? Like, you it, you go to those meetings, you run those meetings, you speak at, every, speak at the meeting. Like, it has nothing to do with you. And so... Activism, one thing it's good at is making people who otherwise don't have to think about something, think about something. And I think, I think perhaps, 
perhaps even more than getting rid of the protests, they just realized there's no reason why these can't be public. So let's just, so yeah, good point. Good point, ladies. Everybody can watch it. They, but, you know, otherwise just keep doing the same thing forever and ever and ever because you've never had to question why you do things the way you do them. So one of the things, you, so what you're saying is that one of the things that activisms does is help other people who may not have thought about something in a certain way consider it. Okay. Yeah. Can I give an example? Well, it's, yes. it's not church related. Okay. Um, this is what I've been thinking about because uh, I'm, I'm thinking about teaching peanuts in my sophomore class next semester. Okay. And the, com- the comic strip. The comic strip. And I'm, I'm gathering various essays about it. And one of the easier things to gather opinions on is the introduction of Franklin, the character Franklin, who's the only black character in Peanuts. And uh, Franklin came about because a school teacher, a white school teacher in Los Angeles, wrote him a letter shortly after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and said, I think it would be great if Peanuts, which is the most famous comic strip in America, if you had a black character, it would it would be great for kids to see themselves in the paper, et cetera, et cetera. And he wrote back and he said, you know, I've thought about that a lot of times. And I've talked about it with other comics artists. And we all think it's a great idea. But I'm just really afraid that if I did that, it would feel condescending to my black readership. It would feel like I'm, I'm like, you know, being rude to them by, by giving them a little bone and saying, be happy with this. And she wrote back and said, I don't think that's true. But if it's okay with you, I'll collect... Um, I'll collect some letters of opinions from black associates of mine and send them to me. So that would be great. And, um, and she did. Uh, but before she even like, she sent him two and there were more coming. She said, I want to send you more, but I only have two right now, but I didn't want you to wait longer. And anyway, shortly after that, Franklin is introduced and people disagree on how good of a character Franklin is. Like, uh, of all the characters, of all the major characters in peanuts, he has the fewest neuroses. So is he like too perfect? Is he sort of a, is it is it tokenism? Mm-hmm. Like it is tokenism, but on the other hand, somebody had to go first, and somebody had to. And but the thing is, he had thought about it. Like he had gone as far as to think about it, but he hadn't really been willing to move to the next step until this woman from LA sent him a letter, which I think we can call that activism, right? Yeah. And Franklin exists because of that, and because of and because of Franklin, like it's not hard to draw a kind of direct line from Franklin to lots of other good things that happened in comics and in culture. And you can you can agree or disagree on whether or not Franklin is sufficiently well-rounded a character to really be the breakthrough that some people want him to be, but there's no doubt that he was hugely influential in mid-century America. And when newspapers threatened to cancel um, their paying for the syndication of Peanuts, like Charles Schultz held tight. When his editor said, "I'm not sure we can run this," he said, "Then I quit if you don't run it." And it was this one woman who wrote a letter that caused this powerful man. I mean. In, in a very niche area, but yeah. a powerful man to act and do something. And and Franklin is, I really like Franklin as a character personally. And yeah. um, Rob Armstrong, who makes the comic strip Jumpstart, like, says that his whole career is because he saw Franklin in the newspaper and then believed that there was a place for him there. And so, so it matters. I mean, what you just said there, that last little bit I wanted to pick up on, right? This belief that my position my my place in this organization mm-hmm. could matter yeah right because i saw myself in it yeah it seemed like such a simple act of inclusion here i'm quoting again from the article this time from the start of it having female relief society leaders sitting on the stand facing the pews during latter-day saint sunday services has been a non-controversial tradition 
among some congregations in the San Francisco Bay Area for a decade of, or more. Or more. Something we identified on our last show is that actually my wife, as Relief Society president, was the first. You said it, she I'm, was the first. I'm quite confident that yeah. she was the first like, leader I talked, to be on the stand. I talked to her afterwards, and I'm pretty sure I did confirm this, mm-hmm. that she was the first um, to do this. So in other words, you have the bishop sitting up there. Okay, so sacrament meeting starts. Who's up there on the stand, usually? Traditionally, it's the bishopric, meaning the bishop and his two counselors, and um, whoever's running the music. Whoever's running the music. Perhaps the people giving prayers and... T- and talks depending on the Lord. Sometimes yeah. those people stay in the congregation. And then but... two two priests then who are going right. to bless the sacrament. Right, off to the side, but oh. also up there. Yeah, and an organist. Yes. And then the Relief Society president. Yeah. Right? In in our ward, right? And mm-hmm. in other wards in the Bay Area, this was a tradition. Yeah, and, and um, it was done in various ways. Not every ward did it the same way. It evolved in our ward over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe we established... 2016 or 17 as when your wife started sitting on the sand mm-hmm. so it had been not not a decade for us mm-hmm. other wars other wards had moved first okay quoting again from the article yes, quoting from the article but to many women in the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints the public presence of of women sitting side by side with male ecclesiastical authorities sent a powerful signal they were an important and essential part of the community's leadership and i just want to talk about the phrase ecclesiastical authority yeah right if you have served in the leadership of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints you if you're like me i've never well i've never been in a bishopric and i've never mm-hmm. been in an elder quorum presidency i might have been in one presidency mm-hmm. but the point is that i never really felt like i like i was an authority Per okay. se. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like when I see a judge sitting on a bench, right? <laughs> yeah. Or when I see a officer standing on a corner, right? Mm-hmm. That that's an that's an authority. Yeah. Right? But to a lot of people, especially converts or people who you know when and people who if you don't know the bishop very well, for yeah, example, yeah. our last bishop and our current bishop you know, these were longtime friends of mine, right? Mm-hmm. But you come into the ward for the first time and there's somebody sitting up out there on the stand who you don't know, right? Wearing that big old suit and tie, yeah. <laughs> right? That's an authority. Right. Right? That's someone with ecclesiastical ordained authority. Yeah. Right? And um, having women sitting up there, again, from the article, with them, it sent a powerful signal. They were an important and essential part of the community's leadership. Yeah. Apparently, though, even that small symbol, again, quoting from the article, was too much for some of the faith's male leaders. The practice was abruptly discontinued last month. So, again, this article came out in November, so this would have been on October that it was discontinued. Uh, yes, I believe in our ward. It was um, the area authority came to our ward and shut it down. He arrived the week before uh, general conference. So yeah. that might have actually been late September. Um, according to church spokesperson Doug Anderson, at the order of the Amer- North America West Area President, whose jurisdiction includes California, the Utah-based faith has a long-established practice when it comes to worship services, Anderson says. The general pattern includes presiding authorities sitting on the stand, along with other women, men, youth, and children, based on their invitation to participate in the service. Local leaders, Anderson says, 
were recently reminded of the practice. So I find this the most upsetting part of the whole article in some ways. And I and I think part of the reason we scrapped the last one is because I kept harping on this. So I'll try not to do that this time. But I just think this is an appalling response. Mm -hmm. Just the worst. Um, for a church like ours. Um, basically all hey, these... Wait. Warn yes. Warning. Yeah. Activism. The activism, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, and it's terrible because what is his reason? We don't do it this way because we don't do it this way. It's just not really the way we do things. There, there's no, there's not, not only is it not doctrine. Wait, you're it's, saying it's not, you're saying it's not doctrine. It's definitely not doctrine. Because the organization of who sits on the stand. It's has not, nothing to do with doctrine. And it's not in this, that's not in the script. That is not canonical in any way. Okay. It's also not even policy. Okay. And there's nothing by saying in the handbook. By, by, by saying it's not policy, you're saying that if I go and download hand, the handbook, yeah. which is publicly available from the church's website. That's another thing that activists have changed. It yeah. used to be a very secret book <laughs> that you had to give back the moment you were released from a calling. <laughs> and again, I, I want to make, I mean, it sounds bad when you say it that way, <laughs> but in reality, secret book here could easily have just been like, we don't want to print so many of these. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, and it really wasn't that big of a deal, but... From the outside, yeah, yeah, it doesn't look good, yeah, really. But publicly available book on how the church is organized, yeah, right, and paragraph by paragraph about how to organize meetings, yeah, doesn't not say, a policy, it's not a policy, it's not a policy. Okay. It's just something we do. Mm -hmm. And the cynical part of me, and I think I believe the cynic in myself this time, yeah, I think what happened is the area authority just did it, and Salt Lake is trying to cover for him. Uh huh. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it shows up in the handbook suddenly. Um, that, was, that was a bit conspiracy theory, what you just said. It is. It is. And, and like, like I said, it's the cynic in me. I don't have evidence of this, but that's really what it looks like to me. It is worth pointing out that, um, some of the ways that female leadership in our ward has evolved uh, that the area authority came and, and cut down at that moment were based on handbook stuff that is no longer in the handbook. Mm -hmm. The one downside to the handbook being online is little things change kind of frequently, not always with announcements. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that is kind of, it's weird how it, it's, it's, um, paradoxical in a way, how greater visibility to the handbook has also made it easier to change without people noticing. Just to verify what you're saying. Yeah. Um, the, okay. So the heartbreaking edict, Latter-day Saint observers this in is the region again. said, yeah, was handed down to male leaders without any input from the women affected or explanation for the change. There is nothing in the church's general handbook barring female officials from the stand. And many wonder why women are allowed to sit with men in cushy seats on the platform at general conference, but not at the local level. Okay, so go, go ahead. Yeah, um, when, he, when the 70 visited us, he didn't talk to any women. Um, can, I, can I, do you want to guess? So I've been in leadership. Uh, I was in a bishopric uh, when your wife started sitting on the stand. Mm -hmm. And... Um, as elders quorum president in our ward, um, for a while now, it's been traditional for the elders quorum president to attend all non-disciplinary related bishopric meetings, which mm -hmm. is to say essentially all bishopric meetings. Mm -hmm. Same with the Relief Study president and, and some other people. Um, but you want to guess, in all my time in leadership, how many times a woman has moved into the ward and come up to me and said, it makes a really big difference to me to see women on the ward? The women on the w ward. women on the stand. Women on the stand. Okay, actually, I don't know. The number is zero. Oh, but do you want to guess how many times they've told that to the women sitting on the stand while I've been in leadership? Oh, I don't. I don't know. More or less constantly. Oh, okay. women move into the ward. They are moved by this symbol of women sitting on the stand, and they tell those women that it means a lot to them to see them there. Um, she uses the word heartbreaking here. This edict. Yeah. 
That's I a mean, strong, strong word. Do you feel it's accurate? I do. <laughs> based on based on the hearts we saw broken in our ward, would yeah. it be crazy to say otherwise? But, okay, I want to take a minute here and yeah. ask why. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is and this is, again the opening sentence of the of the article. It seemed like such a simple act of inclusion. Who? This is another paradox. Well, right? who who cares about who's sitting on the stand? Yeah, because it okay. doesn't matter. It doesn't, and that's why it matters so much. Okay. So this is. It's just weird to, to hear to hear this to say it like that because it definitely feels like a paradox. But it's definitely true. At the it's same definitely time. true. Yeah, and um, and it's hard to understand. It's hard to elaborate why this seems to matter to people. But anybody that you talk to, yeah, right, they're gonna say, yeah, this matters. Yeah, it absolutely matters. It was huge. And as religious people. If we start saying symbols don't matter, yeah. we're going down a dark road. <laughs> um, it was a slap in the face, says Laurel McNeil, a Relief Society president in um, Sunnyvale. And again, um, as I think you mentioned in our first attempt mm-hmm. at this, you know, bravo at, at um, putting names to in an, ar- yeah. in an article. We are good enough for all this service. Yeah. That's the quote, and now I'm going to say the service being the actual leadership that they do in the ward yeah. as the Relief Society. As we know, it's substantial. Substantial. But, uh, which is an understatement. But, and then continuing, but not good enough to sit up there with men and present a unified front. Being on the stand was recognition and acknowledgement of the work that sisters do in the church. It was a visible symbol for young men, for young men and adult men, too. And it was also intensely practical, as the article talks about. Okay. Um, this is something that, uh, when I was in the bishopric, one of the things we experimented with is, like, why did so many men need to be on the stand? Maybe some of us could sit down. But And so we experimented with sitting down. And But there are, dis- there are real advantages to sitting on the stand. Like, seeing people come in you haven't seen before. Like, recognizing people. Being on the stand makes it hard to get to them before when sacrament ends if they got somewhere to go and they're leaving right afterwards but you see people you see things you pick up on dynamics you can't pick up on if you're not on the stand and no question having women on the stand with their different interactions with members of the ward immensely helpful the article talks about that too like having women leaders on the ward made ward leadership better so continuing about um on williams and look and the i am reading a lot of this article it's a good okay. article. And the it's reason... It's probably past the paywall now. That's an advantage to waiting so long. It so, is past you know. the paywall. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> she says... Okay, again, about this... about From Williams' quote. She says she has never felt more less than in all my church life. It was such a small crumb. And then Peggy's words. Why did the church take away that crumb? What did that threaten? Then... Continuing the quote from Williams, Jesus was born to a woman, announced his ministry to a woman, and first appeared to a woman after he was resurrected. Williams says, he would not have objected to their presence on the stand. The Christian Savior loved women, she says, which showed in his actions, not just in his wor- in his words. Um, why are we reading so much from the article? Because these people wrote really good words. Yeah, and ultimately, Aaron and Eric and, and I... <laughs> <laughs> you're eric yeah i sure am <laughs> uh, i just started a conspiracy theory um, ultimately aaron and i are not the people most affected by this um i have seen and keep in mind i'm the man that 
women don't talk to right because i'm the man but i've seen easily seen a half dozen women of our ward crying about the damage this has caused mm-hmm. um I've seen men angry and upset and troubled and hurt, but I haven't seen any of us crying. Yeah. And Mormon men are famous for crying. <laughs> so not, not about these sort of things, but, yeah. <laughs> but um, it doesn't affect us as directly. And, and so I think it's appropriate to, for us to center the words in the article, the quotations from the women around the bay. Let's do another one. Okay, here's a quote from Naylan McBain, who wrote a book called um, Women at Church Magnifying LDS Women's Local Impact. It's a great book, by the way. Okay. It's about a decade old now, but still very good. It included um, a bunch of ideas on how to um, increase women's presence and their voices. Based on what people were actually doing, and there was handbook at least not denied. Okay. At a Latter-day Saint service to install a new three-man bishopric she recently attended, quote, there were 38 men on the stand. 38? I, I really want to know where this stake is. Like, okay. why is the entire high council on the stand? Including the entire stake high council. Why? Both the old and the new bishoprics, the stake presidency, and all of the sacrament blessers and passers. The message, McBain notes in an email was loud and clear the church can run without women and sacrament meeting is not a place for women to exercise any stewardship this is off topic but this has to be in utah and i don't say that because of the number of men on the ward i say that because the passers were also on the stage that is a completely different chapel design that does not exist anymore that's an old building they're in (laughs) the church's patriarchal structure makes it so women don't know where to turn to exercise spiritual authority or stewardship in our community she says we have enough of a toehold we can get baptized we can speak in church we can teach other women that are that we are bold enough to believe that there is a place for us in that structure. Yet, if women try to exchange, extend that toehold for the benefit, benefit of the church as a whole and for our own spiritual growth, McBain says, we find doors slammed in our faces. If all you know about Sister McBain is this article, you will get the wrong impression about her. She is one of the most measured, calm, peaceful, generous, uh, like, as far as her rhetoric goes, she is not the sort of person you expect to be speaking this directly. Not, I mean, she's always direct, but but with you can sense the undertone of frustration here, and possibly anger, and you just don't get that from her. Like she's so, she's such a paragon of patience, and this moment pushed her to say some things in ways that I just don't associate with her rhetoric. I'm gonna finish out her quote, okay? So Peggy says, and the line seems arbitrary, quote, Why is it okay for a woman to call upon the powers of heaven to bless her congregation in an opening prayer, but not pass the plastic tray of bread or water to that congregation, she asks. Why is it okay for a woman to instruct from the pulpit in sacrament meeting talk, in a sacrament meeting talk, but not sit on the stand to be acknowledged as a steward of those listening? The arbitrary nature of this latest hand-slapping, McBain says, simply underscores that it is a blatant power move designed to intimidate and reassert male dominance in the core Sunday experience. She feels deeply 
that this is not the way of church founder Joseph Smith, whose trademark was innovation. This is not the way of the early Christian church, where women hosted the meetings and Paul praised them for their leadership. This is not the way of the church even in the not-so-distant past, when primary, seminary, visiting, and home teaching, and more bubbled up from our member needs. If the church continues to conform, rather than disrupt, retrench, rather than innovate, our community will wither, McBain warns. And if women continue to have to diminish themselves so much more than men to be in good standing with that institution, they will leave. A sobering thought, she says, for a church trying to hold on to its young. Just let that sit for a second. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm envisioning an entire additional episode about this. As recently as my childhood, Aaron, yeah. my parents came home from a adult session state conference held in the evening and talked to us about how my mom would now start standing in when my dad gave father's blessings mm -hmm. because the stake leadership had reminded them that this is appropriate and traditional and part of what we do in the church is women stand in on blessings of comfort. They don't give the blessings, but they can stand in. How long ago was this, you think? This would have been the mid-80s. Okay. Okay. So. A ways, a ways back. <laughs> Let's not rub it in. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I'm older than you. So they wouldn't participate in the blessings. Um, well, Sorry. what do you mean by participate? Sorry. They wouldn't say the words? They, right. They wouldn't say the words, but they could stand in. They put their hands in. on their child's head and be part of it. Okay. okay. And there's actually a long tradition for this, That's which is why I was saying this sounds like another episode to me. But there's But it's not done anymore. There's no rule against it. It's not handbook. But I mean... I've invited my wife to stand in, but she's not super comfortable with it because we've created a church yeah. culture where women are nervous about taking even what's on the table. Uh -huh. And that's why that's why I'm quite sure that the stake presidency told women back in 85 or whenever it was that they could do this. Because, um, in fact, the church used to have a form letter they sent out because they got so many questions asking if women are allowed to be part of blessings. They had a form letter that they sent back and said yes. Okay. Um but women kept being nervous about it because women aren't allowed things. Okay. What about um, now? If you went back to Idaho, would you see this happening, you think? I, well, I don't think so. I think that's why, like I said, I think that's why it was said in the first place. And my mom only stood in, like, just off and on for the rest of my childhood. Like, not regularly. I don't think she was super comfortable with it. So, Naila McBain talks about how if we can't give women these little things, if we can't engage in a Joseph Smith kind of religion where we question whether the lines are arbitrarily drawn, we will lose people. And there, you and I have talked about this. There's no question that arbitrary lines and um, things like uh, the church's racist past and, and, and although they've disavowed it, I don't really, I mean, it's, it's easy as a child to feel like nothing's changed if you, if that's the if that's what you're looking for, you'll be able to find it. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, like when it comes to gender roles and and issues around sexuality. There's a lot of lines being drawn of various canonicity, shall we say, yeah. that hurt people or um, upset people. And if the best way we have to respond to it is like, well, this is the way we do it, which is what the PR guy said. Yeah. Then that's not an acceptable. That is not. You're saying conformity is not a good enough reason. No, it's a terrible reason. Just because the other people, other parts in the country, we don't allow yeah. women on I mean, the stands. It's because of conformity that the church adopted racist policies in the first place. 
And then it was because of conformity that we held on to them. And if we are going to be serious about being a church that's led by God, we got to keep going back to God and say, where can we be better? Where can we be different? Where can we try new things? I want to, okay, but you did just make a value statement just there. Okay, and I want to be Probably. absolutely clear about this, <laughs> that we believe that this was, you and I, Yes. think that this was a mistake. I do believe that. Okay. I, you, by their fruits you shall know them, Aaron. Mm-hmm. And the fruits of this have been not good. I actually think that our ward handled it really well. Um, to the best of my knowledge, only one family has stopped coming to church, and, and it's only maybe like 70% because of this. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, everybody else stuck around and, and, um, there was a lot of fear that it would, a lot of people wouldn't come back. But the thing is when it happened, um, leadership in our ward, male and female Mm -hmm. reached out and talked to every single woman in the ward and let them know what had happened and what was coming because of that. Um, by phone call. By phone call, right? Not like an email. That was an email. It was no, an individual they phone call. To each person. Some people were talked to in person, but every woman in the ward was talked to, was spoken to, talked to. Is, that's the wrong phrase. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the ward worked really hard to um, consider everyone's feelings in a way that you know the sudden change did not. But this is where I feel like when I say that we feel like this was a mistake. Yeah. That, to me, is where the line is, right? Which line? Where you're supposed to talk about the church mm. and its leadership. Yeah. Right? I feel like if I say that the, that this was a mistake, yeah. that that I have crossed a line. I think that in the Look, usual way... Look, I, I am willing to cross that line today. I think, I think we have to. I, I think it would be dishonest of us... To say otherwise, but I'm still I, I acknowledge that that's a line that yeah. I don't want, that I don't want to cross it. I would prefer that the church grew organically without me having to record something and put it on the inter- <laughs> on the internet. Okay, uh-huh. but I recognize that that isn't always the way how change occurs. Yeah, and I want to say something. Even if we don't have the biggest listenership, it's not zero. No, 50,000 downloads last I checked. So. Probably um, all the same seven people. It does still make me nervous. And I want to, just just in case my mom is listening. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're, we're still true believers. Yeah, I saw you there Sunday. Yeah. I believe. Were you there Sunday? I was not. But oh, I was, okay, because never mind. <laughs> but, I, but I will be there this next Sunday. I saw you the Sunday before. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, I want to talk about the phrase power move because I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, this is uh, one of... Um, this is Nayla McPain's line, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I was a, if I was an organization mm-hmm. that wanted to assert dominance over women. Yeah. Okay. This is a move that I would make. Yeah. Okay. I... And my problem with me saying that is yeah. that I believe that is not the kind of organization we are. I think it was a thoughtless action, honestly. Like, act- activism is supposed to make people think. Yeah. I think that the people who made the decision to kick women off the sand did not think. Listen, I, I need to say it more strongly. We, yeah. I, I can't believe we're an organization like that. No. Our, our religion is one of equality between men and women. We also believe in doing things by common consent. Yeah. And a lot of these changes involving putting women on the stand and a lot of other changes 
are because there was a massive meeting of bishops from all over the Bay Area, and these are some of the principles they thought would help women. Um, this is discussed in the article. One of the things. Oh, is it? I forgot yeah, that. That's the, great. It is. You can you can please look in the article. We're not going to have time to cover everything, and we didn't read it all. So please, it's you've got to read it. It's great. And that's that is a principle of our faith: is doing things by common consent, and um, top-down edicts, power moves. Those are that's not. That's not really, and yeah, but this is one of the paradoxes of our own faith, right? We believe in a deeply hierarchical structure in which God speaks to a prophet, and there are twelve apostles who travel the world bringing us that message. Um, that's that's pretty strictly hierarchical. But we also deeply believe in individual revelation and in the importance of a ward, and the importance of each person to receive revelation for their stewardship at the ward level, at the family level, at the stake level, at every level, and. We also strongly believe in this idea of by common consent and doing things together. And come, let us counsel together, saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. All these things have to be balanced. And I think the reason people are upset is because this balance was thrown out. It's not that we reject the concept of Area Authority 70s, though what are they for? It's not really clear, other than bureaucracy, <laughs> to manage the bureaucracy. But but it's not it's not me trying to rag on Area Authority 70s. It's we have to balance all these things. And... When something happens that appears like a person just flexing their muscles, that is not balancing all the different aspects of how revelation is received. So I honestly don't think it was a thoughtless mistake. And I also don't think it was malicious. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't think it was a... Okay. I'm not going to say that it wasn't a power move because it looks like one. Okay. <laughs> and it, and because... Quacks of, like a duck. It quacks like a duck and Occam's razor says that... It's the simplest explanation, right? Yes. I do think, however, that it really was an act of conformity, right? I do. Yeah, I, I will go with that. I think that there that it is. And I and and I and, and I, I say, I, hey, I hate it. <laughs> but I think that's really what's going on here. Well, and it's a really good example. It's like, um, this is way too strong of a phrase. Mm -hmm. So I would like to apologize for saying it. Like, I'm, I'm breaking Godwin's law, basically. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of the banality of evil, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you've never really considered what conformity does to people mm -hmm. and, and how certain certain aspects of conformity, uh, yeah, I'm then gonna... it hurts people. And, and it may not be technically malicious in the sense that it's intentional, but it can yeah. still have a malicious outcome. But my point is that... Uh, my point is that conformity here yeah okay is not the right reason i think to have made this change okay yeah but i see why they did it i think they did it because of conformity right yeah to make it so that the church is the same everywhere which it's not which it's not okay but to make it as it is there is value to having a uniform church in okay yeah. there is value sure i'm okay? not disagreeing with that i Okay. I'm just disagreeing that this move creates that. Okay. I'm, yeah. I, fine. And I know you're on my side, so I, I'm yeah. not going to push it. But I, there is value in, in, there is some value in conformity. Okay. Yeah. This, I think, was not the right place to enforce it. But hopefully, through messages like this one, they maybe some people can realize that actually this really mattered to people. Maybe this is one of the changes that we can walk back. Yeah. And speaking of changes oh, that oh uh, that that's got right I forgot back. you wanted to talk about this that was a really that was a really <laughs> clever segue. <laughs> Let's talk about will you engage in the wrestle by Sister Sherry Dew. This is a talk by um, 
that came out on May 17, uh, 2016. This is when we have the transcript. And apologies if um, you don't want to talk about the uh, exclusion policy, but yeah. we're going to talk about it for a few minutes. This happened. This article was given shortly this, after the exclusion yeah, she policy gave this came talk, into place. Was it it? 2016. Where was it at? Was it the UVU this Institute, I want to say? At, Is that right? Well, it's so posted as a devotional. BYU-Idaho? It's posted. It must have been BYU-Idaho. Um, in other words, one of the BYU lights, okay. <laughs> which is not fair to either school, but that is how people think about them. Um, but yeah, so she gave this talk while the exclusion policy was in force, which if you, um, have not heard it called such a, uh, that by that particular term, which is a little, um, a little euphemistic. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, a, it's a loaded phrase. Yeah. It's, it's the policy where, uh, on, on purpose. Yeah. Uh, where basically, the, I mean, the most horrific part about it, I think, was that children were not allowed to be baptized if their parents were, I forget exactly where the line was, but but it prevented children from getting baptized for the actions of their parents. And it was a, it was a homosexuality sort of thing. Yeah. So. And I'll tell you exactly what she says. Children of gay parents might not be el- eligible for baptism at age eight. Yes. Which. Um, which got walked what? back. It did get walked back a year later, yeah. almost exactly, if I remember correctly. So I think maybe the timing on here is a little fuzzy, but I did verify it. Yeah. That the exclusion policy happened before this talk was given and was walked back at some point after. Yeah. And I have to say the exclusion policy is one of very few times in my life where um, like, my relationship with the church was really shaken. Mm-hmm. like, Because to punish children for the sins of their parents, I mean... Come on. <laughs> Have you read the Book of Mormon? <laughs> you can't do that. Um, in this article, what Sister Do does yeah. is talk about the phrase, will you gauge in, in the wrestle? Okay. And what she's doing here is she's describing how in some circumstances she's worked with people who had doubts and conflicts. Yeah. And through much prayer and study, they were able to resolve them. And she's worked with people. Or at least find ways to live with them. Or at least, oh yeah, right. To find some answer that made people at least have peace. Yeah. Or at least move on. (laughs) And something you and I agreed on in the last recording is that we felt that engaging with the wrestle is a much healthier way of looking at these issues than, for instance, just putting it on a shelf and ignoring it yeah pretending hoping, it doesn't exist hoping it goes away yeah and then there were some people she worked with that didn't want to do this at all yeah. right so the wrestle here is referring to um two specific uh, scriptural accounts yeah there's jacob who wrestled with the angel and enos who wrestled with the lord in prayer yeah right in both cases to secure blessings yes for either themselves or for others yeah right and um, physical or, or spiritual wrestling, like a metaphorical or literal, yeah, it's not important. The, the point is that it wasn't easy to right. secure these blessings. It was hard. It was spiritual effort. It required effort, and when you'd rather be doing something else, perhaps. Here's what she says. Um, None of us are entitled to revelation without effort on our part. Yeah. Answers from God don't just magically appear. If we want to grow spiritually, the Lord expects us to ask questions and seek answers. If thou shalt ask, he promised, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation upon revelation. Yeah. Knowledge upon knowledge. How much clearer can it be? 
The Lord loves inspired questions asked in faith because they lead to knowledge, to revelation, and to greater faith. Yeah, yeah. We all have questions. Some are doctrinal, historical, or procedural. Some are intensely personal. Here are just a few of the questions men and women your age have asked me recently. So B-Y-U-I-O-H, I guess. Right. Why am I the only one in my family who struggles to believe? Should I serve a mission if my parents don't want me to? Why did I spend all that time on a mission and not convert anyone? Why can't I find the one? If I go to graduate school, will the Lord think that means I don't want to get married? Will I be able to provide for a family today? Will the Lord ever forgive me from breaking my covenants? I came home early from my mission. What do I do now? Is the prophet infallible? Did Joseph Smith really have more than one wife? How do I know if I'm receiving revelation? Skipping forward a bit. Um, why can't women be ordained to the priesthood? What if the church's position on gay marriage bothers me? How do I understand the temple when I can't answer, when I can't ask questions about it? May I answer these questions and any questions you may have by posing a question? Are you willing to engage in the wrestle in an ongoing spiritual wrestle? Okay. Yeah. Have you had questions like these before? Sure. I think we could say that our entire last season was questions. Yeah. So, and not necessarily maybe, maybe the not necessarily the personal kind the ones that upset me personally. But yeah, they yeah. were they were these kind of questions, and I'm sure each of them upset somebody. Or did you have you feel like you have engaged in the wrestle in the in the past? Yes, although I do, this is actually, this is a little off topic and mm -hmm. didn't come up last time, but I do, like, I worry that this is the big hole in my spiritual life, mm -hmm. is that I have sufficient faith in sufficient things that sometimes I can just let the wrestle go. <laughs> I worry that I don't engage in the wrestle enough, but I also wonder if that's just time of life. Mm -hmm. Maybe I've wrestled more in the past and I'll wrestle more in the future, but right now I'm like, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Right? I want to cover busyness in a second, okay? Um, so I certainly have felt like I've engaged in the wrestle in the past. I've felt answers to prayers. Um, and um, it is a wonderful thing to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just feel like there's another shoe that's going to drop? Because there is. Um, and I want to point out that this article was pointed out to me by a wonderful sister on award. We did a fifth Sunday lesson on it. Mm -hmm. She did a great job presenting it. Um, and during the lesson, I had a thought that I didn't have ch a chance to share. So mm -hmm. part of the, it comes from this thought. It was a great lesson. Thank you for, for doing it. I recently engaged in a wrestle, Sister Dew says. When the policy was announced that children of gay parents might not be eligible for baptism at age eight, I was confused. I did not question the brethren or doubt their inspiration, but neither did I understand the doctrinal basis for the policy, so I asked the Lord to teach me. I prayed, searched the scriptures, studied the teachings of the prophet, prophets, and pondered my question in the temple. This went on for several months. Then one day a colleague made a statement that sparked a new thought for me, and in that moment the Spirit illuminated the doctrine in my heart and mind. I consider that answer personal revelation, and not something I should teach. Though I have wept with friends to whom this policy directly applies, the doctrine gave me peace and understanding. Now, as we're aware, yeah. the timing is interesting. Very interesting. What was her answer? We don't know. We don't know. What could it have been? Could have been a lot of things. Okay. Could have been, um, 
Well, you had the list last time. What, what is your list, Aaron? I think you have a more complete list of possibilities than I do. What if the answer was, don't worry about it? That's an entire possibility, except for she talks about it as a doctrine. I don't know how not worrying about it could be called a doctrine. What if the answer was, this policy will be rescinded. It's fine. Just wait. That would explain why she wasn't allowed to talk about it. Uh-huh. She's not a big line crosser, Sherry, do. What if the answer was, this policy... I'm, I hate this one because I yeah. don't believe it's true. I'm just going <laughs> to say it right now. Yeah. This policy is correct and people can't handle it. Sorry, I didn't mean to say it that. Maybe we'll edit that out. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and when this gets to your segue, so whatever answer she received. We don't know. We don't know. But, but whatever answer it was, how did that answer fit in with the rescinding of the policy mere months later? Yeah. The re- she wrestled yeah. and got an answer. And she at, was, at the time... I believe she's running Desert Book at this point. She works for the church, but she's not an auxiliary authority. Or a general officer, rather. She was in the tre- general presidency from 1997 to, th- to 2002. Years the first ago. unmarried woman in this position. Hmm. That's um, kind of surprising to me. I mean, maybe it shouldn't be, but the Relief presidency is... There's been a lot of them over a lot of years. I'm surprised that's the first time. Okay. But kind of in... So she wasn't in a leadership role. Yeah. So she wouldn't really have had authority to spread an answer like this. No. Not not at the time she's giving this talk. Yeah. But other people are. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's my point. Okay. This is why I wanted to bring this up. Okay? I'm listening. And this is what I screwed up in our last recording. And why... (laughs) One of the reasons I wanted to re-record it. Yeah. Why am I asked to resolve concerns that have such a big impact on the doctrine of the church and the people around me? Okay, let me see if I can be clear. One way for me to interact with this question about women sitting on the stand is mm-hmm. to treat it as a one of these wrestles. Yeah. Right? I could go and spend a great deal of time and energy and research and personal prayer trying to figure out why this policy happened. And I could do that. Yeah. And I believe in prayer. I believe in revelation. It's quite possible I would get an answer and I would be happy with it. Okay? Why is it... I don't want that to be my job. You see what I'm saying? There are some things that I really want to wrestle with. Right? Questions about about theodicy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Questions about um, de- you know deity, you know. Questions about who who is the Holy Ghost and where there dinosaurs, right? <laughs> I want to wrestle with stuff like that. Yeah. Right. The nature of gender and the principles that govern the organization of women in the church. I don't want. To wrestle with that. Okay? And the reason I don't is because I don't want a personal answer that I cannot share. Right. Right? <laughs> I don't want to have this problem in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want my stake president mm-hmm. to wrestle. Right? I want my area authority to wrestle and my prophet 
and to come down to me yeah and tell me what and tell me that we have have made a policy change and for me to examine it through the lens of ethics right and mm-hmm. say this aligns with what i understand to be the principles of god's church and organization yeah right so why is it my problem okay that and this is the danger in me saying it that way and why i didn't want to say it this way right mm-hmm. it is my problem right the women don't get to sit on the stand that is my problem we've got to talk about it yeah. right but i it's not a spiritual problem for me to solve it's not something i need to solve internally right I don't want to do what Sherry Do is asking here. Yeah. Right? It's a waste of time for me. Not a waste of time. I'm and, you know, no amount of prayer is a waste of time. No, it would be it would be a spiritual journey worth but taking. The, but, but but the idea but. but the idea that let's let the individual membership of the church solve the spiritual paradoxes through prayer works for some things. Yeah. But not for others. And this isn't one of the ones where I think that it works for. No, a bunch of personal revelations that people can't share just results in conformity continuing. Yeah. The status quo. Because nobody is who's receiving answers is in a position to improve. And it's really hard for me to explain this properly, right? Um, and I'm not sure I've done a good cho- job this time either. Um, but it shouldn't be my responsibility that I should seek internally and keep quiet about. Yeah. That the that my church made this change that I don't agree with. I don't want people to think that when I say I wish this was not my problem that I'm not taking responsibility for it being my problem. Right. Because I am. You are. And when you say you don't think it should be your responsibility or or however whatever however we want to phrase it this goes back to the paradox I was talking about before. We have a church in which personal revelation is deeply important, and yet we have a strong faith in God talking to his mouthpieces and revelation coming top down also. So Revelation comes top down. So, That's one of the most founding principles right. of the church. But it's also a founding principle that each of us can get revelation for ourselves. Yeah. But you getting a revelation about the state of women in the church helps zero people. Yeah. Except it might make you feel better. Yeah. And and maybe you'll be nicer to your wife. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, it doesn't make a difference. Like, when you consider how much uh, difficulty and trauma there is in the church regarding gender issues, this is not something that, that you know, Aaron Prane is going to fix. <laughs> this, this has to be, we need God involved in a big way, which seems to suggest a top-down sort of need. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was trying trying to get out exactly that um, I think that this policy enforcement, which again isn't a policy, I think it's that not this, even a policy. This practice enforcement, yeah, okay. Um, instead of me trying to do something personal and inside, mm-hmm. I want to do something external and outside. And the only thing I can think of is recording it and putting it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best we got. <laughs> this would definitely not be our first episode, but we've been doing it a while, so this yeah. is what we do. <laughs> one of the most famous expressions, or not expressions, one of the fam- most famous metaphors for the kingdom of God comes from the Old Testament. It's a rock cut forth out of the mountain. It's rolling down the mountain. 
it has momentum. It is going somewhere. Yeah. It continues to gather mass and speed and strength. And that's what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God does not just sit there conforming with what the kingdom of God was yesterday. It is rolling forward. Yeah. That's the kingdom of God. That's how you recognize it. One of the ways you recognize it. So there you go. Active, <laughs> act, an, an activist episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I guess you have to say, I guess you have to say that. Yeah. I think it is. I look, um, Look, I really appreciate all of the members of the church. Everybody's, this is maybe now where I restate some of my beliefs, right? <laughs> I think everybody's trying their best. I think this was a mistake, okay? But I don't believe that, that I don't believe, how can I say this? What am I trying to say? I just like people. <laughs> <laughs> I believe most of the people most of the time are doing the best they can. Yeah. If this gets um, corrected soon or rather than later, I think I'd be happy. Right. But I'm not going to just, I'd feel like I just can't say nothing about it. Like, yeah, no, I, I feel like we have a moral responsibility to recognize harm that has been done. Yeah. And to, you know, ask people to think about that harm and what the value of it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think... Um, thank you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> we're a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Yes, we are. Um, we're very happy to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, our music was by Daniel Foster Smith. And um, I especially want to thank some of our Discordians who have mm-hmm. been nice and chatty. And especially in in response to the last couple episodes, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, please, please come join us. Good people there. Okay. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric.